welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode number 42 of the podcast. Yes, the Jackie Robinson number, and today we are going to preview week two of the 49ers season, playing the Philadelphia Eagles this weekend. Going to talk about how the Niners can overcome the secondary issues, if the running game can still carry the offense, how will the defense fare against their first matchup against a mobile quarterback in Jalen Hurts, and will we see more of Trey Lance on Sunday? But before we get into all of that, I want to ask you, I just saw Shang-Chi, or Shang-Chi, today, and I just saw Malignant Tonight, and uh, you need to see both these movies. Uh, Shang-Chi, because one, it's, it's a great movie, it's fun, it's, it's funny, it's action-packed, it's a movie for the family, uh, it's just a great movie, it honors culture uh, in a bunch of different ways, uh, the, the Chinese culture, um, but also it's, it's a very fun movie for the family and the kids, the kids will love it. Uh, our theater was surprisingly kind of filled today. Uh, I, I live in the East Bay in the Bay Area, and, and I was surprised how filled it was actually, and I'm happy it was. Kind of felt more like real life again. The Malignant I saw on HBO Max, and <laughs> you talk about you talk about a twist. You talk about one of the I will say one of the more fun horror movies out there. And, I, and I'm a big horror movie buff. I love Halloween. I'm waiting for it to come out uh, in October. I I was there when it came out uh, a couple of years ago in 2018. I bought tickets. Like was there. I had my Michael Myers mask and I was ready to go. I, I, I'm a big horror movie aficionado, uh, and, and Malignant, uh, wow, <laughs> I will say you have never seen a movie like that before, especially if you like horror movies, uh, do not be afraid to watch Malignant, uh, the marketing is nothing like the actual movie, uh, and the twist, uh, it'll leave you sitting there Kind of how the Niner game did on Sunday against Detroit. Kind of saying, like, what did I just watch? <laughs> like, like what just happened? Because I'm still trying to process it right now, and I just finished it like an hour ago. I loved it. I will probably watch it again eventually, but... Wow. <laughs> but, but let's talk about the 49ers. Please go see those movies. Support the movie theater industry in a time like this. Uh, but let's talk about the 49ers. Let's talk about uh, what the heck is going on with Brandon Ayuk. Because we got this kind of feeling of, is this Dante Pettis 2.0? And the reason why I say that is because what happened on Sunday against the Lions was, why isn't Brandon Ayuk playing? That was the question kind of going through every single Niner fan's head. Why isn't Brandon Ayuk on the field? Why isn't he getting reps? Why isn't he getting the ball? What is going on with Brandon Ayuk? And the first issue was, or the question was like, is this Dante Pettis 2.0? Because everyone was worried, like, is he in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse? And after Sunday's game, I talked about, like, let's not... Let's not uh, predict or let's not kind of get into the he said, she said, well, I heard it's this and I heard it's that. Like, let's focus on what we know. And we heard maybe the hamstring was an issue. We heard maybe that that could have been the reason why he was held out. And all throughout the week, there's so many rumors coming out. Like, is it actually the hamstring? Is it not the hamstring? And Kim Inman was asked, 
is it actually the hamstring on DRK this past week? Damon Ryder on Kolski on 95-7 the game. And his answer is pretty blunt. He said, no, it's not that. It's that Trent Sherfield knows this offense better than Brandon Ayuk. And to a certain degree, you want to give your kudos to Trent Sherfield that we should be happy a receiver who was kind of written off as a special teams uh, player only has come into the offense and has learned it this quickly, which is something Kyle Shanahan loves from his players. If you can learn the system quickly and you can have even a minimal amount of success early, you will at least be given the chance to get the ball more. And Trent Sherfield has done that. Uh, the same for Raheem Mostert when he came in. He learned the offense quickly and had a small amount of success early, which then allowed him to get more touches. And I'm not comparing those two by you know, skill at all, but situations are very similar to Mostert and uh, Sherfield. And so then the question became, well, should this be concerning about Brandon Ayuk? Should we be concerned that Brandon Ayuk isn't picking up the offense? And is it just a hamstring or... Maybe the hamstring thing is kind of like, oh, and he has a hamstring on top of all the other things. And on Sunday, uh, if you listen to it probably on Monday, this past podcast we did, I talked about how, while I wasn't necessarily concerned about Brandon Ayuk as a player because that receiver one potential is there, I was more concerned about it having this kind of cloud over the organization of this has led to more unnecessary questions about Brandon Ayuk, about Kyle Shanahan, how he deals with receivers, because he was a receiver for a long time, uh, played it in college, and like he he has been historically tougher on receivers. And again, a lot of the questions were, what is happening? Is it Dante Pettis 2.0 again? Like like we don't want to see a repeat. And if there is a real issue with Brandon Ayuk, like this is concerning for the offense going forward, especially after a game in which Verrett goes down, Mostert's done for the season, now we learn Dre Greenlaw's out six to eight weeks with a groin injury. There was and still is somewhat of a concern, but today it kind of seemed as if that that, that concern kind of got put to rest to a certain degree. Uh, uh, <laughs> Shanahan said it was a hamstring. Uh, Mike McDaniel said it was a hamstring. Like, don't worry. Like, uh, John Lynch said on KBR, like, relax. Uh, I, I think the exact quote was, uh, I'm going to pull Aaron Rodgers, you know, R-E-L-A-X, relax. Brandon Ayuk is fine. We love Ayuk. Uh, we have high, we have high hopes for him. He has great potential. And so uh, while that does, again, give you some ease about Brandon Ayuk and his future with the ball club, but also his future in the offense for at least this season. And again, I do believe Brandon Ayuk has that potential to be a number one receiver in the NFL. I do believe Brandon Ayuk has the potential to be better than Debo Samuel. I do believe Brandon Ayuk can be a top receiver in the NFL, and in a stacked-up NFC West that has DK and, and, and D-Hop and, and all these other star receivers, I, th- I think Brandon Ayuk can be one of those guys. And I think that's why the level of concern hit so high. It was, we have this star or who we deem to be have star potential, and now it looks like that's in jeopardy. And it came after a game that started off really good. We had this high, and I don't know if you've ever been to like a religious camp or a summer camp. We can probably do it for you, but 
you go there, you have this kind of religious high, you feel great. Or you go to summer camp, you have this high, like, I just saw my friends for like a month or two weeks are feeling great. Like, I never want to leave this place. You go home. And then a week later, you're feeling like, oh, now I'm back to normal. And I have some sort of a withdrawal from it. And I think that was kind of the case on Sunday and kind of bled into the week where it was, we came off a high first three quarters of the game. We're feeling good. We're at the religious summer camp. Uh, or if you're not religious, you're at a summer camp uh, on Sunday against Detroit. Then Verrett goes down. That's the ride back home. You don't want to leave. You want to go back. You wish you could go You know, turn the car around. Then the week carries on. You learn about most. Or you learn about Ayuk and there could be issues. That's the withdrawal. And now we're sitting here like, how do we kind of get back to the normal or try to somewhat recapture that high of those three quarters in Detroit? And when it comes to Ayuk and kind of wrapping this all around, I think Ayuk will play more. I think Ayuk will have a normal load coming this Sunday in Philadelphia, or at least somewhat like it. Like, he's not going to play, you know, one punt. He's going to touch the ball. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the ball the first play, because Shanahan's that kind of head coach where uh, if the media talks about it every single day for the entire week, he will say, I'm going to just kind of show you that I don't care what you think. I'm going to make it a point to be like, I'm going to point you out and go like, you were wrong the entire week. This is my team. I control the roster. I control the depth chart. I control who plays and who doesn't play. So I do think we do see kind of this return to normal or normal-esque for Brandon Ayuk. But I do understand why people were concerned. I was concerned. Who wouldn't be concerned? You have a receiver with number one potential and he's not playing because there seems to be some sort of issue with him and Kyle Shanahan. Is he in the doghouse? And Mike McDaniel is like, he's not. He's not. He's not in the doghouse. Which, again, is reassuring because, again, people got flashbacks like, is this Dante Pettis 2.0? And I do think the coaching staff, which the Niners coaching staff is not always great at kind of easing things in or kind of being entirely transparent. They are, to a certain degree. I think the offseason, they were with the quarterback situation. A certain group of people weren't listening, and it led to a lot of the questions that we had the entire offseason of, is Jimmy going to be here? Is he not going to be here? But there are times when the Niners coaching staff does a great job of being abundantly clear and I think today they realized that the Ayuk thing got out of hand and they couldn't just like say, oh, Ayuk's one of our guys, we like him. We thought Sherfield was better like like this week or he earned that spot. They had to come out and you know publicly say like, we still like this kid. Like we are on this kid's side. He's not in the doghouse. Like stop with the worrying. We just didn't want to play him on Sunday against Detroit. The hamstring was an issue and he hasn't played that well recently. And he needs to prove to us every single day. And I think that's one thing that anybody has to realize if you're Brandon Ayuk or you're Debo Samuel or you're Jimmy Garoppolo. Every day, there is a chance, an opportunity for someone to take your job. Whether you're a construction worker, you work on radio like I do, you're a teacher. And I understand lesser so in certain positions, certain jobs, certain careers, lesser so. But in the NFL, every single day there is a chance that you will lose your job to somebody else. Now, I think we can all agree that the idea of you have to prove yourself day in, day out, usually 
is not reserved for former first-round picks coming off a good rookie season, but to a certain degree, it is still there. And those first-round picks usually get some kind of leniency or there is more understanding or it's like, okay, like if Ayuk needs a day off in practice or training camp, we understand that. But I do think that when it comes to Brandon Ayuk, me and you, we saw the drops. He started off camp really hot, then all of a sudden dropped the pass against the Chiefs and dropped a few more passes in camp, uh, dropped a few more passes in preseason. And I do think, just like Kyle Shanahan with his running backs, is if you fumble the ball, if your fumbling issue, your drop issue, leads to turnovers, a.k.a. the pass from Jimmy to Ayuk in L.A. versus the Chargers, led to an interception. If your mistakes are going to continually lead to turnovers, ending drives, you're not going to play. And I think... Well, not entirely, because I do think the hamstring was an issue. I do think it would have hindered Ayuk from playing at 100%, and I don't think Shanahan wanted to risk him getting hurt, knowing the importance of having three solid receivers, knowing Sherfield and Ayuk, excuse me, Sherfield, Sunu, and Debo can handle the offense in Detroit against a weaker secondary. But I also think there was a point Shanahan was making was, look, you cannot continually cost us drives, and drop balls in this league. This is not college where you get the ball and, you know, you get 15, 20 drives a game. This is the NFL. You can get 8 or you can get 10. On a good day, you might get 12. Like, the opportunity to score is very minimal and we have to uh, be opportune with it. And Ayuk, I think, possibly, in Shanahan's head, he was, there was some sort of fear of him costing a drive, costing a score. And I do think Shanahan realized that I can sit out IU here and it's not going to hurt us. And I, I would like to think come Sunday we do see more of Ayuk, uh, but unfortunately, on Sunday, one player we're not going to see is Jason Verrett. And I talked about this on the last podcast. It, it was deflating. Uh, you're in Detroit, you're up big, and then all of a sudden Vrett gets hurt and the panic button is kind of hit, right? Shanahan's pulling out uh, starters left and right, doesn't let anybody else to get hurt. The game just collapsed. Uh, Debo fumbles the ball. Kill can't handle an onside kick. Uh, things are kind of going crazy. Ambry Thomas can't cover anybody. Dante Johnson is struggling. No one's tackling. And Jared Goff is looking like he has Sean McVay calling plays and he has Cooper Cup and Robert Woods playing on the outside. And... It also doesn't look like Emmanuel Mosley is going to be ready against Philadelphia. He was running a little bit in practice, but again, there's still kind of that we hope he's ready to go. Uh, we, we will see what happens with Mosley. Um, that could also be a situation where they say, like, look, like let's not risk getting Mosley hurt knowing Barrett is not going to be back the entire season, which again was deflating. It, it felt eerily similar uh, to that Jets game in 2020 where he's saying, we got the win, but our, you know, to not be vulgar and to kind of take a jab at Tom Brady, our balls are deflated to a certain degree. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how it felt, where you're sitting there like, we got the win, but there, there's a bigger storyline going on here. And and Matt Barrows uh, said almost a year ago, and we all know this, but you lose Bosa for a whole year, you lose Thomas for a whole year, uh, you lose Mostert last year in New York Week 2. Now this this year you lose Barrett, your starting cornerback, and you lose uh, Mostert, your starting running back for the whole year. And uh, just deflating. And 
Before I go any further, I want to make a point here of that if you are a Niner fan of this team, you, you call yourself a member of the faithful, do not ever DM a player, their spouse, saying, kill yourself, saying, I hope you die, I can't wait for you to get cut. It's unacceptable, unacceptable, excuse me. You cannot claim to be a fan of the NFL, a fan of this team, a fan of the human race, if you are telling other people, I want you to die. That is not humane. That will not be accepted in this fan base. It is wrong, and I'm happy of the outpouring of support they got following the incidents uh, of Moster being told those things. And on this podcast, I will say publicly, Jason Verrett and Raheem Mostert, us Niner fans, publicly will have your back. Whether you were on this team next year or not, as you recover, you will still be members of the Niner roster. You are still members of the 49er faithful. And if if you see and you know someone who is doing those things, of sending messages like that, put an end to it right there. That is no place in this fan base, no, no place really ever in the world. There are too many people, and I know many of them, who deal with mental health, who have had thoughts like that, and it's horrifying to be someone in a relationship like that, knowing someone you love goes through those things periodically, if not daily. And so, again, stand up for our teammates. Stand up for our fellow fan bases. Stand up for players in this roster. Continue to be awesome out there. And, again, just be good people. I don't know if you guys watch YouTube very often, but Dead Meat James, James A. Janice from the Dead Meat uh, YouTube channel, he says, be good people every single time he's done with his kill counts. Uh, and I extend that to you today again. Be good people. It's not hard to be a good person in this world. Where it sucks whether you're anti-something or you're pro-something or you're a fan of this or you're a fan of that or you like this, you don't like that. It doesn't matter. Be good people. And to Verrett, to Mostert, on this podcast, in this fan base, I promise we will try to be good people the best we can be despite our disagreements, despite our frustrations. And I get it. Sunday was frustrating. I was, I was mad. <laughs> I mean, last week's podcast was titled Inexcusable. Because I didn't understand why Ayuk wasn't playing. I didn't understand why Sermon, who was healthy, wasn't playing. I didn't understand why Norman, who was said could play, wasn't playing. I understand frustrations. And this Sunday could be equally frustrating because, guess what? We may have to rely on guys like Josh Norman, Drake Kirkpatrick, who were signed off the street. Uh, Norman, two weeks ago, Kirkpatrick, in the wake of, Brand of, uh, of Jason Verrett's injury. And... Unfortunately, Josh Norman is older. We don't know what he can be. He was like the 15th ranked cornerback in the NFL last year per PFF. But again, PFF has holes. That depends on the receiver you're playing week in, week out. Drake Kirkpatrick, I don't even know what he brings to the table realistically. Because on a good team, he's like a cornerback number five. And if Mosley's out, he may have to be cornerback, what, three? Depending on who they want to play across from uh, Jalmador Lenore, who needs to be starting on Sunday. So we could be in a situation where it's Norman or Kirkpatrick on one side with Demo and K1 on the other side. 
And I do think there are concerns because Ambry Thomas, he's just not ready. Took a year off. He needs time. That's fine. And guess what? There We have seven cornerbacks on the roster. Uh, you can let Ambry Thomas sit and learn for half a season until, hopefully not, but if someone happens to go down again, then he can play via emergency. Uh, but you cannot choose to play Dante Johnson. Like, this Sunday, if, if Emmanuel Mosley cannot play, and if you're trying to maybe save him later down the road when you have to play Devontae Adams and, and DK Metcalf, and I understand these are two somewhat cupcake games in Week 1 and Week 2. You have the luxury, again, there's that word again we talked about the entire offseason, that you don't necessarily have to risk your players playing the first two weeks. You can pull guys out early if need be. You can kind of let your guys rest if need be. And this Sunday is a chance where if Mosley has to rest, we need to see Josh Norman. We need to see Drake Kirkpatrick. We will see Dion Lenore. We will see K1. Because if they choose not to play Norman, if they choose not to play Kirkpatrick, then you are making the same mistake you made last week against Detroit. And that's not necessarily anyone's fault. You don't expect guys like Verrett to go down, and you're hoping Mosley can play. But now we're in a situation where it's eerily similar to that game, where you could be out your two top guys, and you need other guys, veteran guys, hopefully, to fill in. And if they don't, the same mistake that was made last week is made this week of choosing to play Dante Johnson, choosing to play Ambry Thomas over Josh Norman, over Kirkpatrick, who, let's be honest here, despite not even maybe knowing the system 100%, probably are better than Johnson, than Thomas, just right now, based off what they can bring as a veteran 7, 10 years in the NFL. They can know enough, react enough, uh, play physical enough to kind of buy you time for a week to still secure a win, but also allows you to get healthy. And again, you're going against Devontae Smith, who is one of the best receivers, or at least you know one of the best receivers in this past draft class. Like, I'm not expecting a shootout. I don't believe what Philadelphia did against Atlanta is an example of what they're going to do all season. Because... Look, I understand they have Jalen Hurts. And I understand that Trey Lance is helping the Niners scheme for him. I think that's going to benefit us. And let's be honest, that's not a hot take. It's not a wow comment to make. But Trey Lance being there, his ability to throw the ball and run the ball. They've never had this before. Josh Johnson doesn't count. (laughs) Like, he just doesn't count. Matt Breida playing, you know, scout... QB who can run too doesn't count. Trey Lance can hurt you with his arm and his leg. Similar to what Jalen Hurts can. I do think Jalen Hurts is... I don't think he's as good of a quarterback as Trey Lance is. But he has a year under his belt. And he does maybe know some more of the nuances more than Trey Lance does. But Trey Lance can help this team prepare. And I'm sure every podcast you'll listen to, every person in Niners Twitter and the community will say... You know, the one thing I'm looking forward to seeing is how Demeco Ryan's debuts against mobile quarterbacks. And this is the one thing that I think a lot of people had questions about Robert Sala was how he never seemed to, I don't want to say grasp because 
I'm not a defensive coordinator, but there always seemed to be a struggle to scheme against mobile quarterbacks. There always seemed to be this issue of uh, stopping a Russell Wilson, stopping an Aaron Rodgers, stopping a Kyler Murray, for example. And this is kind of, I don't want to say a proving ground here, but uh, the Niners do have to play Aaron Rodgers next week. Then Russell Wilson. Then Kyler Murray. Like Their schedule does not get any easier um, for the next few weeks because it's mobile quarterback after a mobile quarterback. And this Sunday is likely going to be their easiest matchup against someone like this. And I understand Aaron Rodgers is not as mobile as a Wilson or a Hurts, but he's still one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and he can beat you with his legs. But this is a Sunday for Demeco Ryans to kind of uh, make a statement that despite how great Robert Sala was as a defensive coordinator, how great he was in scheming against mobile quarterbacks to a certain degree, how... Uh, how great he was in leading this defense to a top five unit the last few years, I'm going to be better in my own way. I'm going to fill the gaps that he left. I'm going to be the defensive coordinator that can limit the quarterbacks in this division. Like Matthew Stafford, for as good as he is, doesn't scare me as much as Russell Wilson does and Kyler Murray, simply because... While he does have some mobility, he is not the dual-threat quarterback these guys are. And this Sunday, against Jalen Hurts and this Philadelphia Eagles great offensive line, he can make a statement here that what we've known for the past few years is not going to continue, and this defense is going to know how to play and scheme against mobile quarterbacks. And one of the issues I saw on Sunday, one of the problems I saw was linebackers over-pursuing read options, maybe over-pursuing run plays in general. Uh, Fred Warner talked about this, Tomeko Ryans talked about this, is that, like, look, this isn't how we're going to play. Uh, we did over-pursue. Uh, Dre Greenlaw did this a-, a few times, and unfortunately he's not going to be out there on Sunday because he has a groin injury. It-, it stinks, it sucks. Again, that same sentiment for Brett Moster goes to him too. Don't say anything to him. If anything, hope he gets healthy soon. That's what I did. That's what you should do. Hope you guys get healthy sooner. But one of the issues that we did see was him over-pursuing on certain run plays. And it's not just... It wasn't just a 2021 against Detroit issue. It was a 2020 issue. It was a 2019 uh, problem I saw as well where guys were maybe... I don't want to say out of scheme, but out of position against guys like this and over-pursuing running backs when the quarterback is five yards away. I think we saw this last year against Philadelphia when Carson Wentz was there. Al Shair, who is going to fill in for Greenlaw, he ran 15 yards with the receiver while Wentz was running right behind him with the football. And again, that's one play. It doesn't define a player. But again, we have seen that over and over and over again where, where the defense does have kind of this knack to over-pursue running backs in games where the, the quarterback will have a tendency to run more often. You can get away with it in Detroit. You cannot do that against Philadelphia. You can probably do it more so against Green Bay, but you cannot do it against Seattle and Arizona. And this Sunday, that is something to look out for. How is Ryan's? How is Warner? who is the captain of the defense, how are they going to get their guys in position 
to play against Jalen Hurts, their first test of the season against a mobile quarterback. And I don't know how big of an impact Dre Greenlaw being out necessarily has on the day-to-day kind of impact of the defense, but I do know is he's one of the best pass coverage linebackers in the NFL. And even if Aziz Al-Shair was able to kind of make up uh, for uh, for Greenlaw's, I don't want to say negative play, but for for Greenlaw's sense to over-pursue, if Al-Shair can be in the right spots, can, and he can be in the right places and not over-pursue, there is still going to be a hole on Sunday in pass coverage. And Al-Shair, I think, is in for a breakout season. He's, he had a good week one. He's kind of been the talk of the town the last few weeks. Uh, I know uh, uh, Brad Graham said it from uh, the SF Niners, and he was spot on with that, so kudos to him. Uh, but Al Shair looked good on Sunday. Now it's about carrying it over for Philadelphia. And even despite how good he is, uh, there are still questions about will he be able to replace Greenlaw, but also how is he going to fill in in that pass coverage game? How is he going to be able to aid at guarding Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard? Will he be tasked with guarding Miles Sanders? Like, these are questions and matchups you have to look out for because last year, I understand, you know, COVID season, injuries happen week two, the defense doesn't look the same. And I know, despite how hard Verrett's injury hurts, this defense is still 90-ish, 80%-ish, still intact. Like, the drop-off from Greenlaw to Al-Shair isn't big enough to make or break the defense. And yes, I understand, despite how big Verrett's injury hurts, Mosley... If he plays, this this defense is still intact to what it should have been to start the season. And I think that is a positive to look out for. Now again, long year ahead. <laughs> we got 16 more weeks. Technically 17 if you want to count the 18 week uh, and, and the bye week. Uh, but I am more concerned about pass coverage in the sense of can Al Shair fit the mold and fill the role of Greenlaw. And... On the other end, going back to the cornerbacks, how does the first level of the defense affect the second level level of the defense and then affect the third level of the defense? If the pass rush cannot get to Jalen Hurts, that gives or that, that affects the linebackers covered covering tight ends, covering running backs. If those guys struggle, like Al Shair, possibly against a Goddard or an Ertz or against a Miles Sanders, then that allows Devontae Smith and and the the third level of the defense to struggle as well. And again, if you're not going to have Red, if you're not going to have Mosley, the pass rush, this is where it all starts, right? This, this is what the Niners build their defenses on, right? Well, the Niners against Detroit, and let me be the first one to say, uh, Panay Sewell played phenomenal at left tackle. I wasn't sure how he was going to feel going from left tackle in college to right tackle, then going back to left tackle. He looked like he sh- should play left tackle. <laughs> he just did. And I, yes, he was holding a lot, but Panay did play great. But going against this Philadelphia Eagles defense, or offense, excuse me, their offensive line is phenomenal. Like, Lane Johnson is a star left tackle, and he's probably going to be tasked with guarding Nick Bosa the entire game and it's it's not like the job gets any easier right 
Like, this job is not going to get easier for San Francisco. And last week, against the Lions, the Niners were 11th in pass rush win- It's a hard thing to say. Pass rush win rate. <laughs> um, so, PRWR. Pass rush win rate. They were 11th in the NFL, 52% via ESPN stats and info. And they had a couple of sacks, but nothing really stuck, you know? Like, like... D4 got a sack, Nick Bosa got a sack, Street got a sack. Like, there was plays to look at and go, like, that's pretty, you know, like, there are highlights to look out for. But I was talking to a friend over the weekend, and he was like, yeah, but all the sacks kind of seem like Goff ran into them. And in the moment, you don't think about it, but, like, yeah, you're right. Like, the, the Niners, despite giving pressure to Goff, really didn't have a clean sack against Goff that you look at and go, like, wow. That was elite pass rush. And that doesn't mean we didn't see that. Again, a lot of pass rush is not about getting the sack. It's about putting pressure on the quarterback. But in a game like this, unfortunately, the Niners cannot... Uh, cannot... Uh, I'm trying to think of the word here. The Niners can't rely on a 52% win rate. They cannot sit back and say, that's okay. They need to push for more. And they are. Like, this is not a... They need to go out there and do this. This is a they, they are going to go out there and try to scheme better, try to win. You know, they're going to try to win their battle in the, in the trenches better every single time, right? But they cannot suffice. Like it is not going to be sufficient enough for them to be eleventh in the NFL, not just on Sunday, but also every single time they play. But also every single time they play a mobile quarterback. You have to win at the line of scrimmage. And with an Eagles offensive line that has Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, Jason Kelsey, like these guys know how to play. And you're hoping D Ford can, you know, be as good as he was in week one. He looked like he's back to being who he is, but again, still somewhat limited in how much you want to play him. Nick Bosa looked good. Eric Armstead gave a lot of pressure to Jared Goff despite not showing up in the stat sheet. Like, there were positives to take from Sunday. There obviously was. But now you're trying to, how can we take Sunday's positives, move them to this Sunday against Philadelphia, and kind of ramp them up? How can we improve on them? And if the pass rush doesn't win on Sunday against Hurts and the Eagles offense, it's going to affect the rest of the defense. And this Niners team could could be in trouble simply because they don't have the bodies that are talented enough to shut down Devontae Smith. They are going to, if the pass rush can't get there, they are going to struggle somewhat, and it could open doors for Hurts to hurt them. Sorry about the pun. But to hurt them with his legs and his arm, which could lead to a game late on the road in Philadelphia, and you could be down, or it could be a tight game late. Like, this game right now, the, the point spread is minus three, favoring the Niners. And it's so supposed to be a 29.5 to a 15. So, 29 to 15 game, Niners win via Odd Shark. If the Niners' defense struggles like it easily could, if the pass rush doesn't get there, if the cornerbacks aren't healthy, slash, are not as good as we uh, want them to be on Sunday, and that's very well could be the case then the Niners could, I don't want to say being in for an upset, I do think they still win, but this game could be a lot closer than people think it is. And while I don't agree with the idea 
of, well, the Niners could lose. You can lose any game. But I don't agree with them going to lose. But I do agree with the idea that uh, this game could be a lot tighter down the stretch and people think it is. I don't think we're, you know, don't hit the upset alarm. I do think what we could see is you can pull the the tight rope a little bit, right? Like this game is going to be 26-20 at the end of the night, right? And you're sitting there like our defense needs to make a stop or our offense needs a score. And I do think on top of the pass rush needing to be better on Sunday because it helps every layer of the defense, uh, the running defense has to be better. There's no excuse as to why DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams had a combined 93 yards on Sunday versus Detroit in week one. And I understand that Javon Kinlaw not playing had a big factor in that. Kevin Givens had a great game against the run defense, but DJ Jones, Zach Kerr, these guys need to step up. And that's not it's not me calling them out. What it is is it's me understanding that Philadelphia is going to want to run read option the entire time. And, and, and if it works, then they're going to be, be able to open their offense more and it's going to gash our defense. That will likely have a weaker secondary on Sunday than it did a week ago in Detroit. And we saw what a weak secondary can do for this defense and it's not fun to watch. But Javon Kinlaw did practice today. He was seen getting some reps in. He might be limited on Sunday. But a good sign, and I think if you have a, a run defense with you know Bosa, Givens, Armstead, and Kinlaw, this defense is a lot stronger up front than what it was against Detroit. And I don't think we're going to have the same problem with you know, Miles Sanders gashing us for you know a 93 yards. He has the potential to, especially if the run defense still struggles like it did on Sunday against Detroit. But I would see the likelihood that happening again because Demeco Ryan's addressed it. He goes, look, that's not how we play defense. I didn't like how we executed. We're going to get that fixed pretty much. And so they know where they have to improve their defensive coordinators, their defensive linemen. They know where they struggled at. And if Kinlaw's back, it does aid that. kind of band-aids the issue to a certain degree while they try to get the scheme figured out and kind of nail it down as the season continues. So I don't want to worry about the defense you know, every layer of it, but I want to hammer home the point that if the pass rush does struggle, we could run into an issue of, look, like, our linebackers, despite being how good they are, Greenlaw is now there, Al Shair, for as good as he is, might not be Greenlaw in pass coverage. That's a place to target if I'm Philadelphia. Take a chance on him. See what he can do. And you're not going to target Fred Warner. Target who you think you have the matchup... uh, who you think you can win the matchup with, right? It's like in basketball, like in baseball. In baseball, you bring it, I mean, maybe you used to when you could actually change pitchers left and right, but Bruce Bochy, we all love Bruce Bochy, right? Or most of us do in the Bay Area. Uh, he was a master of playing the matchups. On Sunday, Philadelphia is going to do that, right? They're, they're going to say, oh, there's Patrick Norman, let's target him. There's Dante Johnson, let's target that guy, who, <laughs> let's be honest here, really isn't that good. Let's test out Shair and see what he can do, and, and see if he is Greenlaw-esque in pass coverage. Let's test the run defense if Kinlaw isn't out there. Like, there is, I don't want to call them holes, because there's, I don't want to say holes, because that's it's kind of a, a harsh word to use in regards to, like, there's holes in the defense. 
no, guys are hurt right now, and it just kind of stinks you're in the spot where, like, you had no other choice to play certain guys to a certain degree. But there are areas where Philadelphia can really hurt San Francisco. And unfortunately, it's not just in one area of the defense. It kind of trickles through every single area. And if the pass rush, who I really I'm not worried about, if they don't do their job, it makes those... It makes those areas where Philadelphia can target even bigger. And, like, <laughs> that's the NFL. And it, it stinks, and that's kind of where we're at now. We're like, if the pass rush doesn't work, it doesn't do its job, uh, this game against the Eagles is going to be a little tighter than I think people think it will. But let's go from defense to offense here. And <laughs> I talked about in the last podcast how good Jimmy Garoppolo looked. And I think we can all agree, even Mike McDaniel said, uh, that was the best game Garoppolo's ever had here. And I don't want to toot my own horn, but like, this is the Jimmy I think we all believe was in there. And it's week one, let's let's temper our expectations to a certain degree, right? Like, let's, let's not overreaction Monday, that's not what today is about. This is a preview Thursday, <laughs> preview Friday. Um... But Garoppolo looked good, and the, one of the biggest things I've seen this past week because of the injuries that have kind of taken over uh, the headlines is that people are forgetting how good Jimmy Garoppolo was on Sunday. And I don't think people... Here's how I'll say this. I think if we can get that same version of Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday, this Sunday, that they got against Detroit... I think a lot of the worries we have go away. Like, I have faith Jimmy Garoppolo can beat an Eagles defense that, to be honest, really isn't that good. They don't stink, by all means. They're a middle-of-the-pack defense, and we have a top-five offense. Like, we should be able to score against this defense. I understand Fletcher Cox is still there. Whenever he's there, you got to mark him, right? You have to circle him on the list, right? I understand Brandon Graham is still there. Ryan Kerrigan is there. Uh, Derek Barnett is still there. But I'm looking at him right now. Like Alex Singleton, he's not a great linebacker, not bad. Middle of the pack guy, right? Eric Wilson, middle of the pack guy. Steven Nelson is a fine cornerback. He was fine in Pittsburgh. We can beat Steven Nelson. Avante Maddox, we can beat Avante Maddox. Like, Anthony Harris, we can beat these guys. And Harris is probably the best piece they have besides Darius Slay out there. And even Darius Slay. Like, Kyle Shanahan can scheme to beat anybody. So I, I don't have much worry. And if we get the Shanahan we know and love, who can scheme against everybody, which I think we will, and we get the Garoppolo we had against Detroit, I think a lot of the worries we have kind of go away. But that's what Garoppolo... That's when... Jimmy Garoppolo needs to be, you know, porn star Jimmy. <laughs> he needs to be confident Jimmy. Jimmy Garoppolo has this amazing ability, and George Kittle has talked about this, to kind of calm that storm. When the crowd's loud, the moment is big, Jimmy Garoppolo can come in, calm the huddle down, get him focused, and lead this team to score a touchdown or a field goal, whatever they may need in that moment. And if this game possibly gets out of hand and maybe Philadelphia puts a score on them early and the Niners after an entire week are like oh we just lost Rhett we just lost Mostert Greenlaw's gone too like 
man, like, we're feeling down, and now we're literally down in this game. Garoppolo has the ability, and this is one thing that I do think separates him from a lot of guys in the NFL and also does Trey Lance, where when Jimmy G gets in the huddle, he can, that, that raging storm, he can go, hey, guys, we got this. Here's the play. We're going to go down there, and we're going to score a touchdown. Like, he is the anti-Matt Hasselbeck. He is the, uh, we're going to get the ball, and we're going to score that throws a pick six. Like, that's not that's not Jimmy G. Jimmy G is the guy who comes in, calms the storm, and you believe him, you buy into what he does. And then that then permeates and percolates uh, and trickles down into the defense, calms them down, go, we got this. We have a confident quarterback. The offense is going to put up big points against these guys. Let's go out there, do our job, Trust our units, trust our scheme, trust our coaches to put us in positions to be successful, and we'll be okay. And so, if things get out of hand, Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy to look out for on Sunday to go, we got this, let's relax. But, Jimmy Garoppolo is also a quarterback who needs to get in a groove. And I think we saw last week where Jimmy Garoppolo is successful. And when he, I guess if you want to say struggled, struggled, I don't think really Garoppolo struggled at all last week, but let's let's entertain the masses here. <laughs> um, the Detroit Lions blitzed on 53% of their snaps, right? Uh, 15 of 28. The Philadelphia Eagles blitzed only on 6.8%. They don't blitz much. Garoppolo in a clean pocket. 13 of 20, 10 yards per attempt. Under pressure. 4-5, 22.4 yards per attempt. And when Garoppolo was blitzed, again, 53% of the time last week in Detroit. When he's blitzed, he's 8 for 13, 15 yards per attempt. When he's not blitzed, Philadelphia last week, 6.8% of the time they blitzed Matt Ryan in Atlanta. When Garoppolo is not blitzed, 9 of 12, 9.8 yards per attempt. And I guess what I'm trying to get by here is, despite those stats not really, not really showing any of Garoppolo's struggles, I think there is a point to prove where it's like Garoppolo under pressure is better than he is not under pressure. Garoppolo blitzed is better than he is not blitzed, and I wonder because if Ayuk isn't playing again or is limited, I wonder if Philadelphia schemes to a point of like let's not blitz. Let's play our coverages, and let's make Garoppolo beat us. Let's not have an instance where Kittle breaks off a pass because we weren't covering him or or, or we used a safety to blitz. Like, let's not not put ourselves out of position or take a chance here. Let's play conservative, and let's see if Jimmy can do it two weeks in a row. Like, Philadelphia's defense is not that good. We already discussed it. They didn't see Garoppolo last year. They saw Nick Mullins. And they have an entire new staff there. Like, they are going to want to try things. And I do think, to a certain degree, Philadelphia, if they start out 2-0 and they beat us, I don't think it's going to be because they blitzed Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, history proves Garoppolo under pressure, game on the line, blitzed, and not having a clean pocket is much better than, you know, the, the opposite. Like, Garoppolo was really good under pressure. And if I'm if I'm Philadelphia, I think my mindset it really isn't let's get him under pressure more. And that kind of is contrary to what you know defenses usually teach. <laughs> like the idea is let's sack the quarterback on every single play. 
or like let's let's get pressure every single play. But I that is going to be like singularly manufactured pressure. It's not going to be a schematic blitz on Sunday. I, I think those are going to be few and far between. So I do think that plays into Garoppolo's strength, getting the ball out quicker. Garoppolo is one of the best releases in the NFL, at least from speed-wise, getting it out as quick as he can. That's that's him. And so I don't think blitzing him really you know helps Philadelphia's defense by any means, especially if Ayuk and it's Sherfield and it's Debo and it's Kittle, and you have guys like Elijah Mitchell and who knows who's backing him up, hasty, I guess, to a certain degree. But also, don't forget Kyle Juszczyk. Like, we didn't see much of Kyle Juszczyk in the offense last week, but my mind goes back to last year in 2020 where Nick Mullins missed a wide-open Juszczyk for probably, what, 30, 40 yards? Maybe more if he makes a guy miss or not? I I would circle Kyle Juszczyk as a guy where uh, I don't think Philadelphia can cover him. Like, the Niners can do so much with their offense, and if they're going to pressure Garoppolo, again, I wouldn't advise that, don't be surprised if Juszczyk makes an appearance here too and maybe even scores a touchdown because he can kind of be that that kind of... <laughs> it's funny because he is in on every single play, whether it's blocking or not, but you always seem to forget Kyle Juszczyk is out there. But he's one of the few fullbacks, maybe the only one, that can actually do something when he has the ball in his hands other than a one-yard run at the goal line to get you a first down. Like, he is kind of like this, you know, they call him the Swiss Army Knife. You know, he can be that guy where he's pretty much a tight end playing fullback, and so I wouldn't be surprised if Shanahan utilized him as kind of this, you know, that Swiss Army Knife player on Sunday because Philadelphia is going to say, we got to guard four guys, and now Juszczyk is down wide open 20 yards. All Garoppolo has to do is hit him. So don't be surprised if Juszczyk's out there and he catches a couple passes uh, he definitely is a guy to take a you know take a look at every single play and go where is that guy at uh, on top of Kittle and Debo and maybe Ayuk and even Mitchell on Sunday. Uh, but let's move to the running back room here because is Sermon suiting up? That's probably a question you have. It's a question I got. I think he's going to that kind of kind of has to right. He has to suit up. And I think last week I talked about or excuse me on Monday I talked about. Uh, it being inexcusable as to why Trey Sermon wasn't suited up. The idea that a a six-round pick beat out a third-round pick, the highest-drafted running back you've ever had in the Lynch-Shanahan era, like, to, me, to me, that's inexcusable. He's not hurt. He just isn't good enough to play. Like That's kind of what you're saying. And so on Sunday... I don't know how much Sermon plays, but he's going to have to be active because Mostert's now done for the season. And so I think most media pundits, most guys who do projections, whether it's fantasy or not, they're going to say Elijah Mitchell's going to get you know 15 to 19 to 20 carries. Uh, he'll probably be running back one, but I wouldn't be surprised to see more of Jermichael Hasey on Sunday. To You, know, you don't want to burn a kid out early like Mitchell. And I think the reason why Shanahan did that on Sunday against Detroit was simply because he had to. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Mitchell goes for 16, 17 carries, Hasty gets, you know, 5 to 6, and Sermon gets 2 to 3. We probably won't see Trenton Cannon carry on Johnson on the practice squad. I do have higher hopes for carry on Johnson. Uh, 
more than Cannon simply because Johnson's only 24. He has shown that when he's healthy, he can actually do something in the NFL. He had a good rookie season with Detroit a few years back. Um, I think he can kind of be that reclamation project for Kyle Shanahan running backs, whoever it is, <laughs> like they can make him work. And but again, like I I would expect Mitchell to be the number one running back. And to all the concerns out there of like how are we gonna win, like, the the running game doesn't exist anymore. Or to a certain degree, like we don't have our running back number one. And can Mitchell be that guy back to back weeks? That's a question I have. And anytime you see a player, it's like in baseball or whatever sport it is, and people have success, okay, I want to see you do it again. Like practice makes perfect, right? Like, so, you know, whatever, playing a sport, whatever it is, if, if that person has a good practice, okay, show me tomorrow. It goes back to the Ayuk thing. Every day, is a is a chance for someone to take your job. Elijah Mitchell capitalized on Mostert going down, despite how bad it was. Now on Sunday against Philadelphia, who was going to kind of grab that brass ring and capitalize on this moment? The running back room is open to a certain degree. Like Mitchell isn't just a, a, a defined running back one. Like Sermon can break off two big runs and you're sitting there like, no, now we're up to something here. Like, why wasn't this guy playing last week? And Sermon has, from what we've heard from McDaniels and Shanahan, taken it pretty well. He understands why he didn't play, and he's motivated to be better. Which is great. That's what you want to hear. But Philadelphia gave up 4.8 yards per carry. Like, it wasn't like Philadelphia was stopping the run despite having Fletcher Cox on defense. Despite having guys like Brandon Graham and Derek Burnett on defense. Like, they were still being hit and hit hard by Mike Davis for 4.8 yards on the ground. Like, Philadelphia wasn't a run-stopping defense. Atlanta just couldn't score. They couldn't move the ball against them consistently. What is the one thing I have said repeatedly that Jimmy Garoppolo does for this Niners offense? Moves the ball consistently over and over and over again. He's efficient. On Sunday, if Philadelphia is going to give you 4.8, almost 5 yards per carry, I see no problem with what Jimmy Garoppolo on this offense can do. Whether it's Mitchell or Sermon or Hasty, I would lean Mitchell. Obviously, he's the hot hand, but I see no issue or no problem with what this Niners offense can do on Sunday versus Philadelphia. Then our final topic of today is what is Kyle Shanahan gonna do with Trey Lance? And a lot of people, and even myself to a certain degree had issues, had a problem, or maybe just questioned how Kyle Shanahan utilized Trey Lance last week. I didn't get the third and 20. I didn't get it. Lance couldn't throw, other than one yard, five yards, whatever it was in the red zone. Couldn't throw. So, like, you know what's coming. Now, Lance looks like, from what we've heard, what we've seen, he can throw. Like, that finger really isn't an issue now. Or if it is, it's at 80% and he can throw the ball 15 yards. Now we'll get to see a little more of like what Trey Lance can do and how Kyle Shanahan truly wants to use this two-quarterback system in San Francisco. And so, again, I think we're going to see you know 80% read options with him. I think that's what Shanahan wants to do. You know, again, like like use check is that extra added on factor of like we have a fullback that can do things. 
that other fullbacks can't. Like you have to circle him on you know on this team on this roster. Like he's the guy to look out for. So is Trey Lance now, and yes, he has to prove that. And I do think while Philadelphia does have an advantage of having a quarterback in camp already that you know is a mobile guy, I do think the added on factor of what Kyle Shanahan can do with a 80%, maybe 100% healthy Trey Lance is fascinating. Because now he gets to throw the ball 15 yards, right? Like, now he gets to have the chance to make a 20-yard out route to Sherfield, Or isn't just limited to to a 5-yard run, or 5-yard pass, excuse me, to Sherfield in the red zone. Now on a 3rd and 20, you can actually use Trey Lance's arm. And then you can also allow him, if need be, to run the football and get you in field goal position. Like, what Trey Lance should be able to do on Sunday in Philadelphia is hopefully a glimpse of what Trey Lance can not only do in the NFL, but also how Kyle Shanahan wants to utilize this two-quarterback system. I think Trey Lance gets two to three passing plays. I think he gets, you know, four running plays. And we're sitting here going, he got seven snaps, threw the ball a few times. I don't want to predict a touchdown. Because, like, that's just kind of bullish of me to be like, well, you know, I said they got a touchdown. But I, I'm, I'm interested to see in what Shanahan does on Sunday. Because it should be almost entirely different than what we saw versus Detroit. And despite how, you know, maybe prepared Philadelphia could be for Trey Lance, I do think that what they haven't seen is him fake a read option or do a read option, step back and throw, you know, a 15-yard, you know, ball to Kittle over the middle or hit Debo in stride down the right side of the field. Like, he just kind of adds another layer, another element of we have to prepare for this guy. And that's added on to Kittle and Jimmy and Debo and Ayuk, especially if Ayuk's healthy. Like, this offense is going to look really good. And I don't know if Sunday is that close. Like, right now the score, again, I already said, it, the spread's minus 5 favoring the 49ers. Uh, the predicted score is 29-15 to 15 per odd shark. Like, I think this game is 30-20 to 20 simply because everything Philadelphia did against Atlanta I don't think necessarily works against us. Despite the injuries, and I do think that is where Philadelphia can, again, be successful. They can target our secondary if Mosley isn't playing. There are areas they can poke holes in, especially if that pass rush isn't, you know, isn't winning the battle up front. And so I do think they can put up 20 points, maybe 24. And that's where I think this game does get somewhat close. Maybe it's 30-24 late in the game. We're sitting there like, can the defense hold on? Or, you know, can the offense get that crucial first down to kind of ice the game? I think this game is 30-20. to 20. I think San Francisco is well prepared for Jalen Hurts, but I do think he does again hit those holes needed to hurt our defense. And I do think at a certain point we're probably going to be down 6 7 nothing, and Jimmy Garoppolo is going to come in, calm the offense down, kind of put that, you know, when you look in Jimmy Garoppolo's eyes and, and you see that jawline, you kind of you get a little flustered inside, right? Even if you're a straight guy, like you go like, man, that's... Man, like, hold me. <laughs> Please hold me. And I think that's kind of the effect he has on the football field, right? Where it's like, 
okay, like he's a commanding presence. He is a captain of the team. And I do think on Sunday, we're going to see Captain Jimmy Garoppolo against a defense that really can be hurt in almost every level, whether it's running or passing. And if he gets Ayuk back, he has another weapon to succeed. Like, the Niners were almost... The Niners almost had a 20 yards per play average at a certain point against Detroit. If you don't think they can't do that against Philadelphia, who I'll admit has better players... If it's not 20, it's 15, and it's still really good. So I don't really have any worries, although I do think this game is closer than people think it is. Again, I think 30-20, but later in that game, crunch time, we're sitting there like, we need this first down, or defense has to stop to win this game. And I do think they do. 30-20 is my prediction for Sunday. Niners win. Niners go 2-0. Garoppolo comes the storm. That has been this week. I plays a little bit. We see a little, a little more Trey Lance, and I do think if that pass rush wins up front, this game is in the bag. I want to see Nick Bosa get his second sack on Sunday. I want to see Trey Lance uh, give me a little of that franchise quarterback feel. You know, give me a flash. You had some flashes in preseason. Give me a flash on Sunday against Philadelphia, and let's prove that we can scheme against. Uh, mobile quarterbacks for the first time in the last, what, two, three years? And the first time since uh, Saul was left, and for the first time for Demeco Ryans. Let's make a statement on Sunday. And if you want to make a statement, if you want to make a comment, follow us on social media. Ooh, what a transition. Follow us on social media. Instagram is at 49ers.access. Follow us on Twitter, 49ers underscore access. You are not going to want to miss a thing if it's injury updates score updates did we just trade for a cornerback did we just claim a running back off waivers you are going to find it on our social media again 49ers.access twitter 49ers underscore access tell your friends leave a like on this podcast share with your mom share with your dad share it with the faithful out there don't forget to leave a like subscribe leave a review a kind one hopefully i think i'm a nice guy i like marvel i like horror movies maybe you do too maybe we're best friends now who knows but until next time until sunday against philadelphia hopefully it's when i think it's gonna be a win my name is strolling bennett enjoy the game wear your jersey don't get too drunk and until next time This has been the 49ers Access Podcast. Stay faithful.